Hello, Bonesai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonesai, and welcome to episode 31 of Little Things for Bonesai People, the podcast. And this time I'm joined by my co-host, Carmen Leskoviansky. How are you doing today, Carmen? I'm good. I got a haircut. Oh, awesome. Yeah, the <laughs> listeners can't really see it, but <laughs> but awesome. Uh, I guess it's in uh, preparation for next week, right? It is, indeed. Uh, next week, me and Carmen will be at the American Bones Society Learning Seminar. Uh, that will be in Denver, Colorado. It's going to be, uh, it's going to actually start on the 8th. I know that's set up and there's a couple of things happening on the 8th of um, mm-hmm. of June. Yeah, it's June. Um, and then it runs through 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th. And does, does that cover all the days? It goes to the Sunday. It goes from Thursday to, yeah. to Sunday. So lots of workshops, lots of lectures, demonstrations, really awesome stuff happening. I know Kathy Shaner is going to be there. I know Jennifer Price is going to be there. Um, what's his name? Trying to train, <laughs> trained with Ryan. Oh, man. <laughs> Todd Schaeffler. Yep. Yep. Todd Schaeffler is going to be there. And I'm sure we can kind of look into that a little bit later. But if you guys want to check it out, just go over to the Rocky Mountain Bones Society. They have the, their ABS uh, drop down menu. So be some cool stuff going on. But uh, today we're going to be discussing some, uh, we're going to dapple in a couple different topics. Me and uh, Carmen are going to pick up where me and Mike left off on the previous episode about display, uh, what to do when prepping a bonsai for a, a formal show, uh, and how to differentiate the uh, the the club show. You're more of your, your kind of just, you know, just going in and presenting the tree and experimenting with different things. From going from a bonsai club type relaxed show to a more, uh, more formal, more what's expected in a in a more of a I don't want to say competition, but some mm-hmm. a little bit more dressed up. Yeah. Um, and then if we get to it today, we might talk a little bit about pop bonsai. I know this is something that uh, Carmen's been itching to talk about for a little while, mm-hmm. so maybe we can get to that if we uh, don't run out of time today. But uh, before we get started with that, do you need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons uh, that we also call our best buds, our Boneside best buds, who currently have the list as standing. It's uh, Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Giordano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Boneside Australia, The Ladies at the Flower Market, Taylor Peacock, Chase Putweet, and Vicky off. Thank you guys so much for being Boneside Best Buds and supporting the show. Uh, without you guys, uh, we wouldn't be able to do this and we wouldn't have all the support and all the questions and comments and awesome critiques. Uh, to mention, uh, we we just launched the uh, Discord server literally right before I started this recording with Carmen today. Uh, at the at time of recording, this would have been yesterday because it's going to come out tomorrow. And Basically, you guys, uh, if y'all haven't dropped in there yet, if you're listening to this now, uh, Boneside Best Buds and also our one dollar peer tier patrons at uh, at Boneside Buds uh, can go in there and you guys can hang out. Me and Carmen and Mike pop in periodically and hang out, and chat with you guys. Uh, make sure y'all submit critiques, like pictures of trees that y'all need help with. Uh, don't be shy. We're not gonna. If you don't want your tree to be l- loud capped on social media or something for the critiques we've done in the past, we don't have to do that. We can just go in and talk about the tree. Uh, but if you want a tree to be discussed on the podcast, I will post it to the Little Things for Bonsai People Instagram and people can refer to it then. And we'll actually go through in detail like we've done in the past. And then also uh, we talked about progression shots. So if you guys want to show us a tree and then we can help you guys think about how to progress the tree, what moves to make, what branches to bend, what branches to cut, what pot should be, what pot would look great for your tree, et cetera, et cetera. As time moves on, I think that'd be a really awesome interactive way for us to kind of, you know, see what the listeners are into, see, see what you guys need and want, and we can, kind of hang out and you know become a little little community here bonsai people over this podcast and that'd be really interesting maybe so, you can uh, even see my new haircut yeah even <laughs> maybe uh carmen will just drop her new haircut into discord uh, if you can't make it to denver i'll show you on discord <laughs> everybody come to denver so you can see carmen's awesome new haircut 
Oh yeah. N- not not just the bone size show. Right. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the um the the Denver show uh speaking of that, that's why that's kind of where the uh the display conversation came up on our previous episode. Me and Mark were Mark, me and Mike were talking about uh uh, sea hibiscus and it and then we kind of evolved the conversation into display uh conversation because i feel like it's something that needs to be kind of teased through so uh for for you guys that listened to the previous episode and also for carmen because she wasn't on that episode to give you all a recap we talked about selecting a tree which trees like kind of how uh we talked about episodes ago carmen about like why is it important to have show trees in your collection yeah. So we are we already had like that pre prerequisite pretty much down pat. It's like, okay, we have our trees, which ones we're gonna use. And then we submit XYZ tree to whatever show we feel like is uh is a good show that we would like to show the premise of the show. Uh for instance, if we wanted to do the national show, uh, we have to consider what type of trees get submitted to the national show in Rochester, what type of trees would be submitted to the Pacific Bonsai Expo over in mm-hmm. California, Jonas's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to kind of consider the the basis, what's normally expected of those shows. And then we were talking about the steps on how to get that tree ready. So mm-hmm. like not making any, and Mike made a really good, uh, really great point. He's like, don't make any drastic design uh, altering like cuts or mm-hmm. any kind of cutbacks that'll set the tree back really far. And yeah. we also, just so you know, we also talked about the two-year plan. Mm-hmm. And I brought up my perspective on the two-year plan uh, to kind of light recap on that. It was take the tree that you're going to you're gonna submit, give that tree a full year, like repot that tree into the, the display pot that you're going to put it into. Like it's ideal pot and it needs to be done mm-hmm. with a lot of the training stuff, right? It needs to be yeah. refined. It needs to be starting to look really good because you're going to spend these next two years getting to look really, really good. And then tension to detail is going to be a lot more drastic. It's a lot more intricate, a lot more attention to detail than you have mm-hmm. ever experienced with a tree before if you've never displayed bonsai. So from what I've said so far, Carmen, uh, what what's your kind of approach from what you've heard it sounds like you're you're ready to put a few comments in there oh i always have comments yeah um <laughs> <laughs> no i think you make a really good point about um don't make any drastic cuts uh or don't do anything drastic design wise especially after you've already um submitted your tree because that's the tree that they accepted and that's what they're expecting um you know if you send a picture of your tree in in march and the show's in september and you cut off a giant branch, there's really nothing you can do. And you could really, you know, change the whole design of your tree um, and not really have it be show ready anymore. So um, I like the idea of the two-year plan. If you're planning on attending a show in a couple of years and you have the time um, to really prep even maybe more than one tree, you know, so you have a couple of options um, uh, for the shows that's a really great way to do it because you're you're planning ahead you can repot it you can do whatever changes you need to do the year before so that the year of you know you're really just kind of maintaining that style um one of the benefits of having a lot of trees is that sometimes you don't have to necessarily plan two years ahead you can just take what's looking good that year but um i think that's maybe more of the exception than the rule i think generally you want to you do want to plan ahead for a year or two um, of what you're going to show and when and um yeah definitely consider what the parameters of the show are because with you know nationals i know that bill is oftentimes looking for some diversity of species and styles and i i know for the pacific expo um they were going through a lot of different trees and some really interesting stuff got in there. So I know they're always looking for something a little bit different, really good, of course, really good examples of um, what you might call traditional Japanese bonsai, you know, but also maybe a little bit of a twist on, on some things um, that we've kind of taken an artistic Liberty on. So yeah, I think um, consider what the shows are looking for and plan ahead and you'll be in good shape. Yeah. The, uh, I kind of go back on the Pacific Bonsai Expo 
And one of the things that I remember Jonas was asking for in particular, he, he said he was making room for mm-hmm. uncon- unconventional displays. Mm-hmm. Like he was in- highly encouraging that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of those trees that were there are now up at the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Um, they're doing a show called Avant Garden, which is all unconventional trees. It's really, really cool. If you can't make it there, um, at least check out their their Facebook and Instagram. They post a lot of pictures of all the really cool stuff they have there. Yeah, there, there's been some pretty good coverage on that, that display. Mm-hmm. Um, and leave it up to the Pacific Bonsai Museum to really put on just some mm-hmm. of the most intricate and awesome displays. Um, yeah, their exhibitions are super good. Gold and, uh, star for Aaron Packard. Yeah, I was about to say Aaron Packard. He's doing an amazing <laughs> we'll job. We'll have to get him on the podcast sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll have to, um, I'll have to reach out and see if he'll be available. He'd be a great guest. Mm-hmm. Just to yeah. see just to see where he's his his mind is going because he's, he's mm-hmm. a young guy and he's got a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. uh, it feels like he's just getting started. So, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, those types of those types of shows are unique and and it depends on what crowd you're looking at. Like I think Nationals is kind of a good example versus the Pacific Expo mm-hmm. is that you're looking at very traditional yet species diverse, which is a great point because mm-hmm. Nationals uh Bill really Bill Valvanis really wants to cover like as far as every bonsai culture goes across the United States, he's trying to make mm-hmm. sure that no one's excluded, but at the same time, he wants to make sure it's within the parameters of what's expected from bonsai. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, it's not as narrow as it sounds, but it sounds kind of narrow. But mm-hmm. once you kind of understand your range and species and what they're capable of and what's expected of those, uh, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of uh like for me for instance uh, i mm-hmm. could submit a a uh, very formal or informal upright style bald cypress that could be mm-hmm. outstanding um and i'm sure something like that's that i've seen other bald cypresses like that but when it comes mm-hmm. to flat tops right flat flat tops might have a hard time getting in um mm-hmm. they'd have to be the exception to the rule kind of showing right. literati-esque design where i think over in the pacific bonsai expo it's possible Mm -hmm. but that show would be seemingly impossible for me to get to you know yeah um so i mean i'm pushing it with the the show in denver it's a 20-hour drive just to get there yeah so worth uh, it what was that worth it oh oh i thought (laughs) the the uh the audio broke out first i was like what (laughs) what what'd yeah, you say it, it uh it sounded like something else it it, it was like worth up and i was like oh okay <laughs> but anyway yeah I, it is gonna be worth it i haven't been to denver so we'll see how that goes and that's uh, a long drive and another thing that was interesting about the denver show uh and abs is kind of like i uh, someone asked me the other day about uh what is the show like and what does it pertain like what do you mm-hmm. expect for each mm-hmm version of it i'm like it's like it's when the super bowl comes to your state yeah like like it brings a lot of a lot of great things to the to your bonsai club it's more of a bonsai club supported show right yeah so wherever they they move it around the country every year and so whatever place they're in that club kind of takes over the planning and the preparation and you know helping plan the event so this year it's in denver so rocky mountain bonsai society is helping out um i know in the past it's been in um like st louis so that club helped out uh it's been in michigan before so that club helped out so you know it's like it's really cool because then you get to see all of these regional trees that and and people get to display you know who may not be able to make it to denver this year but if it's in I don't know, Virginia or something next year, you know, then those people will be able to, to help put on the show, show their trees. Um, so it's a really great way, I think, of kind of outreach for that club and getting everybody involved. Yeah. And it, it brings other things that are special, like, um, like vendors that yeah. wouldn't have normally shown up to that club, mm-hmm. um, which I can't, I can't, uh, express this enough i guess is the best way to say it is that 
if you're serious about getting into bonsai display, and I learned this from a, a good friend of mine that uh, that's also done a lot of bonsai shows and stuff like this, is that when you show up to the vendors and you're looking around and there's stuff that that you're you're like, man, I wish I could find like good display tables or or the 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 oak the oak in um and other the little burrows that they cut really really mm, mm-hmm. flat the for little jitas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For jitas for um for accent cosimonos. Mm-hmm. And and then you're like some potters, some good pottery would be awesome. Potters that you don't even know about, haven't even discovered mm-hmm. yet. Go to those vendor areas and even if you can't bring material home, you might get lucky and sometimes like for uh for the national show I found a really amazing European olive that actually will grow Ooh. where I I'm at and I picked mm-hmm. it up for a great price and yeah. I may not necessarily show it in a big show but it's still a great piece it's something that i would never be able to get so i yeah this is the best place i think to the shows are the best place to um yeah purchase this stuff because there's usually a really good variety it's stuff you haven't necessarily seen before especially like you mentioned like i don't know which local folks are going to be in denver but i'm sure it's people that i haven't heard of before plus probably some other people that you know are kind of regulars vending um which is always good, but yeah, you can get some great deals and find some really unique stuff. Um, my favorite was a, a couple of national shows ago, there was, you know, a tool, uh, a vendor that was selling tools and they had kind of like the, the rest bucket tools that were like, here's $5, a $5 tool because you know, it's kind of used and maybe it's chipped or whatever, but it was a great way for, you know, those people who were just wanting to kind of start getting into bonsai, but didn't want to buy a $50 tool. They could buy a used scissor, you know, and it maybe wasn't the best, but it was at least a reasonable quality. So that was kind of fun. But um, yeah, you can find stands, you can find Jita, you can find pots. I picked up a Nick Lens pot once. Like you just never know what you're going to find. So um, and, and chat with the vendors, too, because a lot of times if they don't have it with them, they may have it back home or they may know somebody who does have it. Or if you're looking for a pot for a specific tree, sometimes those potters will be willing to do um, a commissioned order. So uh, it's a great place to kind of network too. Yeah. Going to a bonsai show, you are there for a particular reason. And all those people there that are in the vendor area are there. They are there for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're into displaying bonsai and you want to get serious, I guarantee you, you'll find resources. Uh, just like yep. Carmen said, there's going to be somebody for everything you can think of in, in it. Mm-hmm. Um and so and I think that's one of the best things about it is it becomes a community and a, and a network once you mm-hmm. start to kind of immerse yourself in that world of display. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for some of our other listeners that are still like in the beginning of their bonsai journey, a lot of this stuff sounds a little uh, imposing, a little, you know, like, oh, I'm not there yet. But this is a big part of why we do bonsai and it's not mm-hmm. it's not a bad idea to have goals or expectations or hey I, I've got I've got clientele that I work with down here in Louisiana and they're and I've got a few of them say I'm not interested in ever displaying a bonsai you know but does it mean that you wouldn't be able to learn to appreciate a show and then that same person might turn around and see themselves displaying one just because they felt like it you know they were like yeah. oh isn't that that bad Maybe you'll get inspired. Um, yeah. And that's another thing is going to shows gives you even better perspective. We even talked about mm-hmm. that in a previous episode, going to club shows and doing those small shows to build confidence. Yeah. This is a little bit different, but uh, just being able to meet other bonsai professionals that are doing just absolutely amazing work and talk to them about their techniques, then you can further break those things down for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So um yeah i can't i can't recommend going to a show anymore but uh but yeah that's why we're having these conversations just kind of break these things down um and we got a little off track about prepping said tree but yeah um but i remember another thing that me and mike got into with that was going in and choosing an appropriate accent plant and then considering your display and the theme of your display and what you're going to be showing, what picture are you painting for the viewer? And yeah, that was 
that was going to be one of my questions was, did you guys discuss at all kind of what the, what the purpose of display is and um, what the goals are? Yeah, we got into that a good bit. And so we, Mike was saying that he really likes abstraction type displays Mm -hmm. where you're not necessarily showing an accent that is completely adjacent to Mm -hmm. the, the, the species of tree that's being displayed. Right. Whereas I am a little bit more on the side of a naturalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, I'm showing my water elm and alongside it, I'm showing carnivorous plants that actually exist in my range. So a water elm would, would exist alongside the ground pitchers, Mm -hmm. like the pitcher plants. You're familiar with them Uh, for our listeners that Saracenia which is a pitcher that grows from the ground here in Louisiana. And they exist all the way up to north into the Carolinas and also sundews, which also exist in North, North America and Mm -hmm. also Venus flytraps. A lot of people don't know this, but Venus flytraps exist in North Carolina and down. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, they're, they're an awesome plant. And so I wanted to show the water elm with something that is believable within its range mm-hmm. that you could see. Right. Um, and then the stand, I was going to use a stand, but it ended up being that it's an outdoor display and there's no stands like wood made stands. Oh, fancy. Mm-hmm. that was a new thing to me, but yeah, I didn't realize it was an outdoor display. In the case of the water elm, I was going to make sure to use a, somebody who crafted the stand out of local locally sourced materials from here that is an, an American bonsai stand creator. Mm-hmm. And then the scroll was the only thing that was going to be a little off because mm-hmm. the scroll was also the 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 holder. I can't remember the, th- the name of it. Um, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of other uh, enthusiasts out there that are familiar with the name of the, the piece that holds the, this actual scroll in place. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll have to look it up if somebody knows in the, even in the listener discord, if you drop it in there, I can bring yeah, it up. Let us know. Somebody right now is screaming at their, yeah. their phone. Like, Oh my God, it's this. Some people and, and the lady who I bought it from, she actually made it herself. Ooh. And so she, and I can't remember her name at the moment, but I believe she is going to be in Denver. She was at the <gasps> Texas show, but cool. she knows everything about, Japanese scrolls and display and proper tokonome uh, arrangements and all that good stuff. That's like amazing. She, she knows everything from top to bottom. So she makes her own scroll holders and uh, mine has a magnolia. Mm, that's pretty. Cut out. So it's the magnolia because that's the state flower, Louisiana. And it's a Southern yeah. magnolia. And then the only thing that I couldn't get straight on was the the scroll itself. I wanted it to be a handmade, hand mm-hmm. hand painted watercolor scroll it has deer on it and they're kind of moving towards like a kind of a dusk kind of setting. Yeah. That's nice. And, and it's all appropriate. So that's kind of the the thing that I was imagining for it. Whereas Mike was saying he likes to see texture, color, and an accent plant that is mm. complimenting the complimenting the tree in a very specific way. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, I feel like there's um there's a lot of ways to go about doing display. And, um, one of the things that I've heard about, uh, some of the Japanese displays and having seen some of them is that there's a subtlety to it where you don't necessarily get kind of every piece of the story of like, like you can tell what time of year it is. You can kind of tell where the tree is from. Um, but they don't always give away every bit of, of kind of they kind of let the viewer kind of fill in blanks within their story to so that it has some kind of impact on you you know um and i, I tend to be more of a naturalist i think like you where i, I try to complement the tree with something that maybe isn't exactly the native that would be growing in the same woods as it but if i can get close to you know that kind of native plant um if i don't have the right species of fern but i have a fern um yeah and for scale i would probably do something like that yeah and to scale um i like mike's idea of of more focusing on um color and texture that's a little bit more abstract which is cool i think my only critique there would be if you have a deciduous tree and you're showing it with some kind of tropical orchid that would really be distracting to me so Mm -hmm. um so i guess kind of those things i would think about 
in in those cases of even if you're just if you're focusing more on color and texture and scale and that kind of thing still maybe consider that it might be distracting if you have something from a totally different region um you know with with your tree and one of the things that uh mike is making consideration with that that is a little bit outside of even my scope is that he works mm -hmm. with a lot of tropicals that are imported mm -hmm. from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of one like of the things. You get a lot more freedom with tropicals. You do. Uh, they're very <laughs> flexible because tropicals do some weird stuff. Like they mm -hmm. can be smooth, smooth barked and have crazy amount of thorns and then have mm -hmm. like beautiful, delicate foliage with poofy flowers and, and, you know, you can have all kinds of stuff going on with tropicals and, mm -hmm. and, or you could have a really, really rough bark tropical and it's got, you know, delicate flowers on it, or it's, it's got some other weird feature to it that is hard to describe. I mean, or, I mean, like, kind of like the cross between seeing a, a primna mycophilia mm -hmm. versus like a, I guess the sea hibiscus is another just example of just a weird kind of thing. How do you pair how do you pair a sea hibiscus with something? I don't even yeah. know where that tree's from. How do you pair a primna mycophilia, which is the really, really small leafed primna? Mm -hmm. What do you pair with that? You know, a buttonwood. Yeah. Uh, I think a buttonwood would be a little easier to pin down. Yeah, and we would... know where it's kind of native to. And... Yeah, it's yeah. a beach loving tree. I mean, mm -hmm. we could, well, not necessarily loving. That's It's kind of like saying bald cypresses love the swamp. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. love the swamp. That's just where they can survive without competition. Right. Um, so you choose for your buttonwood. I've seen some crazy buttonwood displays. Buttonwoods mm -hmm. literally mounted onto twisted pieces of dead driftwood that were found at the beach. Yeah. With sand sprinkled on the display. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe a little too literal there. <laughs> There's some very literal takes. And that's yeah. and that's my other thing is like how literal can a display become? Right. But then at the same time. We talk about Avant Garden and you have mm -hmm. Michael Hagedorn over here making plants. Plant stands look like they're literally jumping off the table. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you got a larch in a vacuum. You got all kinds of, of fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a whole, that'll be, yeah, that'll be our pop bonsai conversation, I think, because that's and, a whole different kind of and thing. And you feel like that stuff kind of falls a little bit more in line with pop bonsai. I don't, I don't think it. I don't think I would consider it pop bonsai, but I think that it would be kind of in the realm of um, more non-traditional. Mm -hmm. But before we get too far down there, I want to say too that if the other option, if you don't have an accent plant, is that you could use um, a little figurine or, or a suiseki, so a stone, um, to accent your plant as well. So it doesn't have to be an accent plant. I feel like those accent plants tend to be a little bit um, easier to get your hands on and create yourself. These other things can be expensive um, and you have to kind of search search them out. But uh, if you don't have a plant, um, those things can be really interesting. And I've, I've seen some really kind of unique ones too, because maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, a figurine that was purchased in Japan or a suiseki that was imported, you know, maybe it's a river rock you found or, um, you know, a little figurine, a little bit of art that, um, your friend made, you know, something like that to compliment instead of, instead of a plant. So it can be something besides a plant. Um, but still it has to kind of make sense with your storytelling and your display. Um, which, which tree was it at? The previous nationals, two thousand, was it two thousand nineteen? Mm. It was. There was a tree. It was displayed with. It was displayed with an axe. Ooh. Like the the tip of the axe. Because, I don't remember that one. I wasn't at the last nationals, unfortunately. Um. It, I think it was. I think it was Todd, uh, Schlafer. Oh my he, friend. Yeah. He. I think it was. It was either that, that or a Randy Knight. I don't mm -hmm. want, you know, I, I'm sure some people know better than me, uh, even though I was at that show, uh, which is, you know, kind of silly, but there's so much stuff going on. Um, yeah, it's hard to remember every who, yeah, who did but, what. But there, one of those two trees, I'm pretty sure it was Todd's, um, had a actual chop mark in the, in the shari of the tree. 
Ooh. And that's cool. And the the claim is that that tree might have been lumbered or or chopped on for firewood maybe by somebody in the mountains at that point mm-hmm. in time, maybe 50 years a century ago, no telling how old it really could be. And to further like show off that that mark, mm-hmm. a rusty old axe. Not the not with the handle, but just the just the just metal the part. Just the blade That's was really there. That's really cool. That's a really and, cool idea. And that was shown at nationals, which is supposed to be the, the much more formal show. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of flexibility in these displays than more than you would think. But it was presented in a way where it was a little bit more elegant. It wasn't mm-hmm. bluntly displayed. It wasn't like he went down to the hardware store and brought it and bought a pristine axe. new Max. Yeah, from uh, like Home Depot, and it had like mm-hmm. the tag on it. Still, it has <laughs> it has more. It's more. Um, what's the word for it? Refined. Thought- well, it's it's thoughtful, vis- a more visceral. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like approach. maybe you had found that axe head over by the tree in the mountains. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, like unintentional. And that was kind of the story. So your bonsai display could also tell the tell stories, mm-hmm. but don't make the story weird or crazy, I guess. Kind of like mm-hmm. instead, he literally, if he would have literally went at the tree with like a chainsaw and then put like a smelly gasoline smelling like gas like chainsaw <laughs> sitting on the, the tabletop with it and wood right. chips all over the floor and you know mm-hmm. in in some perspectives like if we're talking like that um i've seen a few people try to display trees with those that type of uh there's another word escaping me i almost i i, I barely got that that last word that last smart word that i use don't worry matt will go <laughs> in and he'll Matt will edit a cool word in there and I'll sound great. No, uh, <laughs> but I guess the the t- same type of finesse in a display, yeah. mm-hmm. if if you can make the elements work, something interesting, different, and it's got to be to scale. It can't take up your whole display. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It, that's 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 kind of part of it. We're kind of a, talking more elaborately about about concepts and less about the prep of the tree at this point. But I mm-hmm. but these things are important. Yeah, because they don't know what you're bringing. They know what you're bringing as far as the tree, mm-hmm. but usually they you they most shows like that leave it up to your discretion. You know, and yeah, if you, you show, don't have to submit your whole display, just the tree. I mean, and if you show up with something radical and they say no, doesn't mean you can't say, "Well, this is what I'm. This is what I have planned. If it doesn't yeah. work for your show, we can make adjustments." Mm-hmm. So that's another thing too is. This is a this is a big ask for some people I know getting into especially getting into it is bring extra stands. This some mm-hmm. this was a recommend this was something that was recommended to me by um, another bonsai enthusiast that shows a lot. Bring extra stands, bring extra accent plants in yep. case one fizzles out on your travels or mm-hmm. dies, unfortunately. Um, and then just have everything on hand that you would need this this kind of draws us back into prep for the show yeah uh bring your tool bag mm, oh god yeah bring your tool bag bring yep bring everything <laughs> bring everything anything yeah. that you work on your tree with bring it because i guarantee you something's gonna happen if you don't bring it you'll need it if you bring it you probably won't yeah. but yeah i mean definitely and that's that's something too is to i mean i've yeah, I'm thinking back to the last time I took a tree to a show and yeah, I mean, I had a couple options for, you know, Jita for the, for the Kusumono. I did only have one table, but, or one stand, but um, yeah, having extras and even just in your own collection at home, the more stuff you have, the more options you have to create different displays. And um, this is not necessarily about show prep at this point, but um, a great thing to do to practice display is with your local club or some friends, you know, who do bonsai with you, mm. bring all your display stuff together and put, put together different things. You can always borrow stuff from friends, um, from your club. Uh, if you don't have exactly what you need, uh, that's a great way to kind of get more bang for your buck and just kind of share, share your resources. Um, just be sure to label all your stuff. Cause sometimes 
yeah, <laughs> I'll make it back up. to you otherwise. Uh, yeah. But. I'm sure people will be able to label the trees and get them back to the proper owner, but oh, trees, a, yeah, but you know, but there's, a there's a lot of disappear pretty easily. Yeah, and some of these yeah. things are delicate and, and and they're hard to find, and they can be mm-hmm. pricey. I mean, the yeah. smallest, like these little copper. You ever seen those little copper crabs? Oh gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are. I mean, they can I'm be not, ridiculous. I'm not gonna. Sit yeah, I bought here one in Japan. It prices. wasn't a crab. It was a snail, and it was like sixty bucks there. And I know that here, if I had gotten it here, it would have been at least twice that. So yeah, and those things are valuable, but they really can make your display unique or make it shine. Mm-hmm. Or if it's something, I mean, and there's trends and there's different things that are made for bonsai, things that we don't even get to see in other countries. And yeah, yeah, just yeah, like that's the right thing. That's the very right thing to do is to make sure you label, keep a track of things. Um, I was going to bring it up whenever you were mentioning uh, going to clubs and playing around with different things and maybe borrowing pieces from people. Um, there's a group down in Florida that they get together and they submit trees in mass. Um, when I went to the the national show, 18 wheeler literally like rolled up with all these tropicals yeah. on it. Wow. And, and they, cool. it's a, it's a boneside group and they yeah. were, and they put together uh show him displays because that's another thing that's kind of challenging with for for individual bonsai people unless you're yep. really going hard in the paint for like show like mike does yeah where you've got the little stands and the little jitas and the actual whole entire rack for all your trees to be on and you got good variety it's mm-hmm. tough to pull together that display yeah. so maybe yeah, you can lean on a group you know that's a great idea because if you want to show your show you know, sometimes how many trees are, are on a stand? Uh, five plus six, on, another one on the side. So you need like six or seven trees for those those displays. And if you're counting, uh, if you only have six trees, they all have to be ready. And it's hard to get six trees at the, you know, at the same, at the same time, show level at the good. same time. So you need yeah. like triple that. You need 18 show hint if you're going to show one display. So mm-hmm. I think and showing is all about the accessories you're you're totally right you need your stand but then you need all your little stands and your jita and your accents and your it's it's all about the stuff which is super fun but i think doing that as a group is a great idea and yeah i think yeah that's that's kind of genius everybody mm-hmm. kind of coming together and creating the best of the best for a show like that i think that we could totally do a whole separate thing on Shohin uh especially oh, yeah. if we we can get mike me and you and mike on because we kind of have a oh not kind of with mike driving the show in uh mm-hmm. conversation i'm sure we could get some really cool stuff because there's there oh, are nuances within show in and the show in display that go mm-hmm. even beyond just regular oh, yeah. bonsai display mm-hmm. um so i don't want to dive These too far directional oh boy yeah it's fun pop Species. colors species selections and all that good stuff and mm-hmm. and just like we were talking about earlier where you need to choose your stand your accent and your scroll if you're doing a three-point and it needs to show mm-hmm. the time of year um the proximity of the accent growing to the to the tree to kind mm-hmm. of dictate the environment paint the picture i love that i thought of showing the viewer just enough so that their minds their mind's eye will show them the rest mm-hmm. yeah but when it comes to show him there's so many more moving parts and it is it is a big thing it's Uh, hard to get it all together so yeah you got your tool bag to bring to the show we forgot to mention one thing which is pretty important the cleanup of the tree and the application of the moss to make it look seamless do that before you get to the show i remember the last national i was at this was i don't know 16 no 2018 maybe i don't know i remember bill getting on the microphone and being like if your pot isn't weeded and oiled it's not getting on display until it's ready like (laughs) you have to have it clean and like have it when you take it to the show it has to be ready no cleanup Mm -hmm. there you know maybe some last minute tidying up but like yeah clean up your tray oil is is Mm. uh is something that i didn't think would come up uh not because I was sitting there saying, oh, Carmen, better not mention oil. I oil. Swear. No. <laughs> I was just like, almost forgot about it. I was like, right. wait, that's a great, that's a really great thing to bring up. So mm-hmm. unglazed containers may look all cool and rugged in your backyard with the mildew or the little bit of 
what might be patina on them. Mm-hmm. But it it might bum some practitioners out to know that you got to get the pot cleaned up to the mm-hmm. your best of your ability, and you might knock off some of that crud kind of patina that you think is really looking at making it have that look. Because mm-hmm. in most formal shows, true patina, and this is a whole boneside pot um, evaluation. Yep. A boneside pot with true patina has absorbed the organics and the stain into the clay body itself. Yep. And so you got to clean that pot up and then you got to, then you have to rub it down with, uh, some people use camellia oil, the same stuff mm-hmm. that they use to clean their tools. It's mm-hmm. an imported Japanese oil. And then you could also use vegetable oil. Mm-hmm. I've pretty, seen baby oil. We use a beeswax floor polish. That smells really smart. nice. Yeah. yeah, I like it. It's a l- less slippery. <laughs> yeah, you, you're gonna oil the pot up, but don't oil it up to like where you're literally. Yeah, it's... you just you just want it so that it looks, you know, uh, if you're comparing it to like paint finishes, like eggshell. Like you don't even want to go semi gloss. You're like one one past matte. You want to be maybe eggshell. But it's amazing what just that little application of oil, how polished it makes your pot look. Like you don't mm-hmm. want anything shiny that's going to slip out of your hand, but it just makes it like a lot of times it, it makes the color a lot richer. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it just adds this level of, I don't know, cleanliness and formality to it that it really makes a huge difference. It so bring the- that with you too, because you never you might need to touch up or somebody else might need to borrow it because they forgot. The uh that's a great way to put it is the polish and the representation. It's it's it brings a lot of respect to the container mm-hmm. because the the container is the is the frame that's really holding up the show with the tree. Right. So yeah. if your container's just gross and got crap growing on it and it's mm-hmm. I mean, if your container is old enough to have things that make it imperfect, let's say you got a crack in it and it's been properly gold filled. I can't remember the name for that technique. Oh, 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 I know it. I know it. Uh, Kintsugi. Kintsugi? There we Kintsugi. go. I think it's K. Kintsugi? Kintsugi? Something like that. We got a lot of bonsai words of the week just kind of popping off here. Kintsugi. Yeah. Kintsugi. Uh, so yeah, that's when a bonsai container or other bonsai ornament made out of ceramic has been broken and then it's joined back together. But instead of trying to hide the flaw, uh, it's a Japanese technique that was developed to embellish the flaw, mm-hmm. to bring reverent, reverence to, uh, the, to the story of the container, uh, which is, it, it, I mean, it, leave it up to the Japanese uh, for the beautiful poetry that is mm-hmm. everything bonsai. Uh, but this is another one of those po- poetic approaches where we're not trying to hide stuff. We want mm-hmm. we want all the flaws to be out in the open. And if a, a container cracks, it's not like it's not like a tree where we can just if we break a branch, we we cut it we cut it off and we thread graft a new or we just regrow it from the tree if we're mm-hmm. lucky. Uh, boneside containers just don't grow or split into like two boneside containers like a worm. Like mm-hmm. they're, they, I mean that's if it's It'd an be nice if they piece, did though. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> when, when something falls off a bench and it just whoop, now you have two containers. Or if they had like the the replicating charm mm. on them, like in Harry mm-hmm. Potter. Oh where yeah. They just kind of start popping into multiple pieces and you just you can't stop it. And then eventually mm. you're overwhelmed and buried in a pile of bonsai pots. That's I hope that it's a pot you like at least. <laughs> <laughs> just to suffocate under a pile of, of really fancy Sarah Rainer pots. You're like Oh, oh my gosh. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, no, the, the, the whole thing of bringing them back together. I mean, that could be, I've seen glazed ones done mm-hmm. too. So, but yeah, it's, it's Kintsugi. Is I that... think so. Kin, yeah. Kintsugi. Yeah. I think uh, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Now don't go intentionally breaking your pots. Uh, kin, like Mm-mm. Kintsugi is reserved for pots. Like I said, with reverence with, you know, they could be, antiques they could be mm-hmm. important containers that were used for important trees and i'm not saying that your tree is not important because it wasn't on a post-it stamp um you know <laughs> like I'm, I'm i'm making a reference to uh to uh amy lang how her trees were on post-it stamps that, mm-hmm. they, that's noteworthy like 
Hannah Cole of Bonesai right there. That's awesome. Yep. And if those one of her containers would break, yes, that would get that treatment. But the same thing could be true. Like I have trees in my collection that are going on training for several decades uh, on like the third decade of their training. If they have a pot that I had custom made or I've had a pot for a long time, I would like to preserve it because stuff happens. Uh, it's PG, very PG oriented We're here. I'm not even, but y'all know what I'm saying. Stuff happens. Uh, <laughs> frosts, uh, people. Wind. Wind. And other people, people who don't know, you know. <laughs> animals. Yeah, animals. Children. Yeah, things. Uh, children are kind of people. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> but they... Uh, but the the pot is is definitely important. The pottery. Um, mm. So, but yeah, mossing the tree. That so we're kind of in the ground up. We've cleaned and polished the pot. Imperfections are are either you know taken care of or embellished in some special way, depending on the the container. Mossing. I feel like this is a little bit more of a controversial thing. Could be approached mm-hmm. in a, diff- a lot of different ways. From what you have at the the car the Curtigas uh, mm-hmm. um, gardens, yes. from your experience, those those trees are mossed up almost all year long because of the way you guys moss them there. Uh, yeah, um, a lot of times when we do repots, we use a shredded sphagnum um, moss as a top dressing, and a lot of times we'll. Uh, kind of inoculate that with some of the the nice green moss that we have in the garden so that um, the moss that grows on the tree is something that we like. Uh, we've got a couple mosses that grow wild that are like like walking mosses, climbing mosses that just kind of look ratty. So mm-hmm. we try to keep those out of the pots. Um, so, but also even if we don't inoculate them, um, there's just so much moisture and so much moss here that it will grow whether we want it to or not. So a lot of times our trees already have moss on them just because that's how they grow here. Um, yeah, but if, if you don't have moss, um, then that's something you can, it's great if you have, you know, your two year plan and you repot, you can start growing moss on your pot. And then by two years, you know, you'll have a lovely covering of it. Um, otherwise you'll have to harvest good moss and put it on your pot if you're going for the moss to look. Yeah. And same thing's kind of kind of over here. In Louisiana, we are very humid. The moss does grow here pretty regularly. And I could see what mm-hmm. you mean by the creeping moss. Yeah. That, that stuff looks a little weird. It's got like a slimy texture to it sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just not very it's, appealing. It's nice for like the mounded plants and you know, kind of the the um the ones that we have that are on slabs and not actually in pots they can be helpful to kind of hold everything together but yeah usually we want not that one stuff yeah we have mosses here that look like little i think they're called spearhead moss Mm -hmm. um it's got uh, and i'm i'll probably put some on on my water elm so you can see it carmen uh next Mm -hmm. week but it's it's this little moss that has like a little tiny piece that sticks up and it looks like a little flower Oh, little, cool! It's very tiny, and we have a lot yeah. of it here, and it turns reddish sometimes. So it even cool. gives a little extra color pop to it. Mm-hmm. And then we have the fern moss that grows mm-hmm. here. I think you guys have a lot more fern mosses than we do, but it's the moss that that literally stands up, and it looks like a little tiny fern. It's like a centimeter mm-hmm. tall in some mm-hmm. cases, and sometimes they drape and stuff. They're very lovely mosses, really and pretty. one of the things that I will see. So this is why I said controversial, because I think there's a lot of moss application techniques. So there's there's the blanketed, just like straight one texture, one mm-hmm. color moss. Um, sometimes I'll see the thing. I've, I have this also have this other species of moss that grows here. It's a very velvety moss. Mm. And it's very off-putting because it's it looks fake. It looks kind of pin cushiony. Yeah. Acrylic. It looks like it's made out of acrylic. Um, yeah. And that stuff I'll kind of take off of there or I will mesh in a patchwork of moss into Mm -hmm. it to kind of break up that awkwardness of that velvety looking moss yeah and why I say it's controversial is because there is no wrong way to do this 
I've mm-hmm. seen beautiful bonsai displays get ruined by a moss application. No, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't say who, I can't name drop, I can't say anything because it's not fair. Because right. at the end of the day, this is art and it's your art first. Art is for you, and then it's then it's for the critiques afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, but a blanket, in my opinion, a blanket flat just arrangement of moss where it has no breakup. It's kind of just like you peeled off an entire sheet and put it straight on there. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel naturalistic to me. Mm-hmm. And I tend to go for a patchwork moss, and so I will take as many varieties as possible and give and give literal mounds of moss in places, but then flat in other places where you give you give some kind of terrain mm-hmm. to around the tree. Because we're supposed to be making a tree that looks small, and the whole point of this moss is to scale. It's supposed to look like grass, prairie land grasses or something. Mm-hmm. Or even, like some people say, well, and here's a question for you, Carmen, I'm, I'm sure you see this a good bit, is, do you moss everything in display? Is it appropriate to moss an alpine tree where we know that grasses would not normally grow? Yeah, we generally don't moss our conifers um, as much. Sometimes we'll do um, a little bit of moss and we're lucky to have a lot of lichens that grow here. Uh, mm-hmm. So we use a lot of lichen as well. Um, but yeah, if we have a ponderosa pine, we generally don't, uh, we wouldn't moss the whole thing. Um, and I think too, you don't, if you don't moss your tree, at least make sure there's no weeds and at least make sure there's a nice top dressing. Um, but yeah, for, for some of those, yeah, alpine species, uh, ponderosa, um, limber pine, that kind of thing. Will often, yeah, minimal moss, more lichen. Um, if we do anything, yeah. Yep, and mossing. I've I've heard people say to kind of contradict the whole thing is some people say moss a tree in display no matter what, mm-hmm. and and then I've seen shows in Indonesia. I haven't been there personally. I mean, show pictures of them online right. where they'll do a black lava top dressing. Mm-hmm. I've seen that too. Yeah, I think a lot of it is cultural because I think in Japan, a lot of the shows, the show books that I've seen from Kokofu and stuff, I think everything is mossed mostly. Um, yeah, so I think it's a lot of it's cultural, regional, that kind of thing depends on where you are in the world and what you have available. It does, it does help a lot to pay attention to some type of top dressing for show. Mm-hmm. um bonsai yeah, it gives you that sorry go ahead i, I was just going to say bonsai soil looks great depending on the quality of your soil the appearance of your soil bonsai soil to people who do bonsai and really take it to that extent of i use pumice akadama and and lava in my mix and look how beautiful that mix is mm-hmm. look yeah. uh you know play that beautiful bean footage you know kind of kind of like that that tells you how old I am. So the, uh, the bonsai soil looks great. If it's scaled correctly to the bonsai that is planted in it, it looks Mm -hmm. even better. Right. But moss elevates the tree to the next level. It takes it to a surrealistic feel. Yeah. Which gives you that, that again, that kind of finished clean look. And I think traditionally what I've heard and I, you know, I, I can't, totally say that this is 100% true, but I think what I've heard is that um, when they, the Japanese, you know, showing their trees inside in a tokenoma, one of the reasons they put moss on it was because, you know, dirt is dirty. And so it was to give this clean look, you know, you take your shoes Mm -hmm. off when you go inside, you put moss on your tree, so there's not dirt exposed. Um, So I think it's kind of just a, you know, to give that real polished, clean look. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That really Mm -hmm. does um we're running we're running long on this one there there was a couple of things i wanted to say real quick before we uh say goodbye for the week but to close us out this is the last thing i'm gonna say and then we can we can follow back up on the next episode about display if we feel like we uh want to touch back on this but not only do we clean the pot not only do we moss the tree you want to put furniture polish on your stand of course you want to 
get that looking nice. Try to uh, resolve any stra- scratches in it. Make mm-hmm. sure your kusimono is treated the same way. Clean your kusimono's yep. pot. Moss stress your kusimono. I know it sounds silly. Moss stress the kusimono too. That goes a long way. Um, yeah, it does. And then clean the trunk of your bonsai. Clean the trunk and the branches. If you got a tree that has really old bark on it and and scrubbing and cleaning is not really an option, then try to present that in the best way possible within the means or your understanding of how the species should be presented clean. Mm-hmm. Clean, yeah. clean, like Carmen's saying, dirt is dirt, dirt is dirty. Cleanliness in Japan is key. That's, I mean, they literally hold it up to like how we joke about like cleanliness is, is, uh, is close to godliness. Uh, you just, you want to... You don't want to show everybody the the grime of the backyard. You want to show them, this is my best work. This is what I'm putting forward right now. And this is this is bonsai. This is how I understand bonsai. It's kind of like getting ready for a job interview. Imagine that you're putting your tree in a job interview. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a weird you way to think You don't show up it. with algae on your deadwood. Yeah, exact, exactly. Right. And make sure you tuck in your, your tree's shirt. I, right. a, aka the the edges you got roots and stuff hanging out the in. side tuck your moss in <laughs> so how embarrassing for that tree god yeah for all their stuff to be hanging out algae uh, just on there oh yeah and we we can touch more on display a little bit later but uh did want to say really quick before we move on to the bonsai word of the day um thank you guys for listening if you guys have listened this far into the show that's awesome Really appreciate it. Uh, the longer y'all listen, the more numbers we get, the algorithms, all that good stuff, things that are outside of my understanding as well. Don't worry about it, guys. Um, listening to the show, subscribing to your favorite listening platform. Uh, but you can also go over to support us on Facebook. Uh, we don't have the Facebook page up just yet, but I think we were supposed to do that. Uh, we'll get to it. But uh, Like three weeks ago, but yep, it's fine. We'll, we'll get there. It's close. Go over to uh, Underhill Bonsai, follow like me on there. You can, uh, I can't accept many friend requests on Facebook. That's just how it is, guys. I'm sorry um, because of the way Facebook is. But we will try to do a, a group page for, for, uh, for little things for Bonsai on Facebook as well. You can go over to Becoming Bonsai on Instagram for Carmen to go check yep. out her, you know, shenanigans uh but yeah there's a lot of creatures on my instagram right now a lot of animals around here a lot more animals than uh than bonsai stuff recently but yeah i gotta get the wild wild pacific northwest um but yeah and then for mike you can go over to kitsunebonsai.com and see mike's offerings see if you're in the state of florida you're in luck Uh, mike is your guy he travels teaches Mm -hmm. maintains collections i i do as well in louisiana i mean if you live in louisiana uh, you're lucky. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's just, you know, I have to make sure that we kind of talk about these things every once in a while and let people know what's going on. If you want to support us on social media or check out what we got going on, we're definitely there. We're present. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, go over to patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people. If you haven't become a bonsai bud or a best bud or whatever tier you're comfortable with to help support the show and be part of our discord, hang out, talk bonsai extra on the free time. I just, you know, just can't get enough. Can't just listen to a podcast for an hour. You gotta, gotta talk about gotta be our best bonsai friend. all day. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta. Uh, this is like these other these uh this these other content creators I listen to for uh for for Magic the Gathering. Uh, yes, I'm I play a lot of Magic. Uh, that's one of my other nerdums, or in, nerd intricacies. Um, but they say we'll love you as much as as we can without making you uncomfortable. I always thought that was pretty funny. That's hilarious. But, I yeah. love that. But uh, but yeah, no, we we would appreciate it. Uh, so, bonsai word of the week for this for this episode, we're gonna try to go through it because uh, we're we're a little over, but it's not that big of a deal. Uh, decandle or decandling. Decandling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and Carmen wanted to actually talk about this one. She brought this one up. I'll so. talk about this one. I feel like there's a lot of kind of mystery around what decandling is and a lot of confusion as to what what you're doing there. And um, decandling is something that you do on double flush pines um, where you actually physically remove the candle in the springtime. Um, I'm knee deep in decandling black pines right now um we do this to rebalance the tree get better ramification all of that so um 
I won't go through exactly, you know, how to do it, but there's a difference there between, you know, your double flush pines, um, which is, which are the ones you decandle and your single flush pines, like Scott's pine, uh, shore pine, ponderosa pine, all these other things, um, where you don't decandle. If you're going to shorten your candle, you pinch it. So that is shortening that candle, removing piece of that, a piece of that candle, not actually cutting the entire thing off. Um, think that covers it anything to add evan <laughs> i ran out of things to say it's uh, a broad, the end no, it's, it's a it's a broad topic <laughs> i will say another thing about decandling so decandling is is it's very important to note that that is a technique you use on developed trees if you're growing out branches on a pine tree and you're trying to get girth you're trying to get movement. You're trying to set set a branch for placement. You're trying to build a tree. Mm -hmm. Do not decandle until you build the tree, and then reduce back the tree to where you get back. You get those uh, needle buds back bud on the on the tree. It's another thing to note if you're growing out a tree, uh, and and you could listen to a little bit of earlier stuff where I awkwardly awkwardly stumbled through a conversation. Say, a conversation with Jonas Dupuy about Japanese black pine development in earlier episodes mm. when it was formerly called Bonsai Southeast. But you want to grow out a long, long shoot, long branch, and you want to leave mm -hmm. needle buds. You never want to remove needles from the tip, from the bases of your branches. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter how it's 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 a weird thing where you're kind of like uh, don't clean don't clean up the tree. Don't try to get space in there. Leave needles back there. And it sounds weird, but you can't grow the branch back if you don't have something to back bud back to so mm -hmm. the candles are those extensions on pine trees they look really weird on japanese black pines it's actually very easy to find them they literally look like a candlestick pops up it's like whitish silvery kind of color mm -hmm. and then it has like a tip on it where it looks like it has a little flame on it. that's a candle and they can extend anywhere from a quarter inch all the way up to three inches they can get massive um and if you cut them off in decandling season, this was discovered turn of century bonsai te technique on accident where uh, a Japanese bonsai master had a whole, his whole yard ravaged by caterpillars one season mm -hmm. and ate all the candles off. And he was like, oh man, that's it. I'm done for, you know, all my trees are weakened to the point where they're just going to die back and they're, and I'm going to lose them. And lo and behold, the Japanese white pine back bud like you wouldn't believe it, it when you decandle a japanese back black pine you're pushing all that energy positive back the oxen's back into that branch and it will produce multitudes of new candles that you can select and make your divisions mm -hmm. that's what decandling is used for but don't use it on a developing tree i know it sounds complex right. and so, then so. there's a stage where in development where you're like halfway there where you're like decandling most of it but sometimes you leave candles here and there because you're trying to strengthen an area. So it gets really complicated, but essentially decandling is removing a candle fully where something like pinching is removing a piece of it. But I'm glad you brought Jonas up because he has a really, really, really great blog post on black pine. I don't know the mm. title of it I'm off the top it. of my head, but it's like a photo. Um, it talks you right through what to do for your spring work on black pine photo by photo. So you can actually see what what he's talking about too. So if you have questions about what the heck you're doing with your black pine, uh, definitely go read that blog. But you're not in decandling yet, are you? You're you're a little bit later because you're in Louisiana. Yeah, we do. Um, we do usually in July. Yeah, that that tracks. Yeah, usually if you're in a warmer climate, you have a longer growing season. So you decandle later in the year, whereas where we have a long growing season but um, not as long. So we have to go a little bit sooner um, in the it's, year. So It's weird yeah. because I can get two candle flushes because I'll get a false second spring near October. Mm. So there's a there are people who are trying to kind of tease out the methods of decandling, getting yeah. another growing season and then decandling again. But we can't yeah. do a full decandling because it'll I've weaken. I've seen them. that sometimes in development too. Like you can almost push three seasons of growth in a year instead of just two like sets of growth. But I think after a certain amount of time, it starts to weaken your tree. But I, I don't have all that. That's a whole other topic. But so it's interesting can, what you can do with black pine. 
if you guys go over to bonesidetonight.com, um, one of the ones I was able to find, this isn't one showing the pinching technique, but he's got his website where you can go over to his blog and you go to how-to guides in his dropdown. And he has an entire section dedicated to Japanese black pine development. Oh, if sweet. You can't I haven't find been it, there for a while. If you can't find it, he has a search bar too, where you can just type in Japanese black pine and it pops up with all the articles he's ever written. And Jonas, mm -hmm. Jonas writes he knows a lot. black pine. Yeah. He's got a lot of recorded information on there. You can go and backtrack trees he's developed from, from nothing to awesome bonsai trees. Um, but anyway, I think we are good on this episode. We covered a lot of ground. We didn't get to the pop bonsai. Oh, that's okay. I'm all ready for it for next, next time. Yep. Maybe whenever we go to do, um, when we go to the show next week, we can Ooh. do that then. And then, uh, we can kind of give, uh, I think we should do some photos of the show. Oh yeah. We and should then, do, we should do some like Instagram live. Woo. Yep. We can do that. We can go in and <laughs> do some woos and Woo. look at some trees. And I think we could do like a little, like, you know, what's that called? Whenever you just kind of go through and like, like, like bone, a like bonsai a, in review, you know, bonsai in review. Yeah. We'll yeah. be all snooty about it. Yeah. We can go through up. and <laughs> talk about the varieties that we see and stuff that will be very useful. I think for listeners and then we can tag the photos they're pretty open mm -hmm. to us taking photos there uh because oh, yeah. displaying both si bone size that's why we're doing it because we want people to see our trees mm -hmm. so um for you guys who are going to be at the learning seminar if you guys will be there awesome we'll see y'all there can't wait to meet you yeah. can't wait to hang out um if if not listen in and then we uh check in to my instagram and facebook on evan pardue or you can go over to becoming bonsai for carmen's i'm thinking she'll put some stuff on there oh yeah uh, and then we'll even post some stuff for for the discord and we can discuss some trees and stuff it'll be fun so yeah thanks for tuning in with us guys and uh thanks for hanging out we'll catch you guys on the next one bye